It's an exciting journey. As many of you know, we are one year into the journey. We just celebrated our, our one-year anniversary. Uh, that was a lot of fun, had some extra activities. We are excited for year two. We, we believe that God has invited us um, uh, into a place of further engagement and love towards our community that we live in, uh, increasing opportunities to serve uh, needy people, uh, to be on mission, to share the good news, what, what we truly believe is good, freeing uh, news to the world around us. And so we are excited for year two. Thanks for being here with us this morning. Um, a lot of good stuff going on. Um, for, for most of the first year of our journey, we studied through um, a book called Luke. And Luke is uh, one of the four gospel accounts. Four different people uh, took, took upon themselves um, the, the process of researching and then writing a story of, of Jesus' life. Uh, so back some 2,000 years ago in the first century. And so we are reading uh, their stories and their accounts. And last week we finished the Gospel of Luke. Um, we completed our study there. And so uh, as we move forward, we're, we're rolling into a, a new book, but we're continuing the story in that process. So we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. So in the, in the New Testament, you'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the four Gospels. And then the next book is Acts. And uh, Acts is a very natural transition from where we've been because it's written by that same man, Luke. So Luke was a physician. Remember, he said at the beginning of his, his Gospel of Luke, he said, um, I, I've taken it upon myself to uh, research and to write an orderly account of everything that Jesus did um, well, well here on earth, okay? And so then the, the book of Acts then tells the story of the beginning of the church. Uh, the, the text we'll look at today is Jesus uh, ascending into heaven, Jesus leaving a, a, after his resurrection and appearing to his apostles, um, Jesus leaving the earth, and then the promise of what is to come, the Holy Spirit that will empower a worldwide movement to begin, right? Now, some 2,000 years later, it's, it's quite easy for us to think of the church as this uh, Western American construct, right? But of course, that's not at all the story. What, what began in the Middle East has spread throughout the world, right? What, what began there um, in Jerusalem uh, through the power of the Spirit has, has spread throughout the earth, and we are the, the byproducts of that, you know, people following and considering this man Jesus now thousands of years later. And so we're going to dive into the, to the book of Acts. And today in our, in our text, uh, if you're at all like me, we're going to find ourselves a little bit challenged by it. Because the principle that we're going to talk about today, I'll go ahead and spoil it at the very beginning, is the idea of waiting. I'm not good at waiting. Um, I'm, I'm not... Uh, um, I'm not terribly good at being still and being quiet. Uh, I always want to be doing something, uh, you know. My mind is very active. In fact, I, I got to, uh, Sarah and I are on this um, rhythm where every other week each of us gets like a six or eight hour time of Sabbath rest. And it's just time to ourselves. And so uh, whether it's a hammock in the park or a, a day trip out of town to hike a mountain or something like that, uh, each week we, um, one of us takes six or eight hours to go and just have some alone time and, and try to be still. And I got to tell you, I'm really bad at it. I am. I get distracted by so many things. I can't shut my mind down. So this last week I had my Sabbath uh, rest on, on a Wednesday. And that night, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, I woke up in the middle of the night, mind rushing, just panicked. I'd, I'd had a dream about being late to an appointment, of all things, and I woke up feeling so hurried and stressed, and this is immediately after the Sabbath rest. It was supposed to be so the opposite of that. 
I got to tell you, I struggle to wait. I struggle to be still. I struggle to listen. And that's going to be the struggle in our text today. Let's go ahead and dive in. We're in uh, Acts chapter 1, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 11 uh, as we get rolling this morning. So Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, again, this is a man, Luke, writing to a man named Theophilus with his account of the story of Jesus. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit uh, to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of, uh, wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, to, comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken um, from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen uh, him go into heaven. Okay, so this is our text today. It is the transition uh, between the story of Luke, the story of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, um, and now this transition into the apostles in this season on their own, in this season in which now they are to be his witnesses in all of Judea. And I want to break down the text a little bit and talk about a couple of the key concepts that are in here. So, so give me just a couple minutes while we talk about that, and then we're going to get really practical on, um, on what it means to wait in our lives. Um, but he spoke of, uh, Jesus came back for 40 days. He appeared to his closest followers followers, and uh, for 40 days taught them about what? He taught them about the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know if that term resonates. Maybe it does if you've been here a little bit through the Gospel of Luke. But the kingdom of God was the crux of what Jesus came uh, proclaiming. It's, a, it's, it's a, the core of what he came uh, to tell people. For instance, uh, you might remember the Lord's Prayer, we call it, the prayer that Jesus teaches. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus prays this prayer that God's kingdom come to earth, that, that, it, that it permeate the earth. Um, let, me, let me back up just a little bit and say, how, how do we define the kingdom of God? I, I think a simple way to define it would be the place in which God reigns. Okay, so the kingdom refers to a king. Uh, a kingdom is a place that has a king, that has a law, that has a land, right? That that has a has a purpose and a context in the world, right? And so the kingdom of God is the place in which God reigns. So Jesus prays, uh, God, your kingdom come to earth and reign. So God's kingdom gets to reign in my life when I choose to submit to Him, when I choose to engage in the good works that God is is desiring to do in the world around me. That is God's kingdom 
coming to earth, right? So, so this idea of the kingdom of God, Jesus speaks over and over about it. In fact, in Luke 10, um, uh, we, we spoke months ago, in Luke 10, as Jesus sends out 72 people uh, to, to, to the towns that he'll be going to, he says, um, go and proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near. So the kingdom of God, this reign of God, uh, it, it's spoken of both in a present and a future tense, Kind of confusing, kind of, kind of vague, right? Uh, present in that God is active in the world around us. Present in that God's will is being accomplished. And, and we get to participate in, in being the hands and feet of Jesus, right? And seeing God's will accomplished in the world around us. So, so God's kingdom is present and yet still not fully realized, right? Uh, God's kingdom is, is to grow, to encompass the earth. There's a hope after this life that involves this kingdom of God, this place in which God reigns. So, um, so the, the fancy term for it is an inaugurated kingdom. That is a kingdom that is here and is to come. It's both here and now and still to come. So the kingdom of God, Jesus comes, and for 40 days, he sits with his, his, his closest followers, teaching them about the kingdom of God. See, for so long, they've been asking the same question you hear them ask today in the text. They said, so now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Right? Are, are you going to be our king? Are you going to kick out Rome? And are we going to get to rule again in the way that we as Israelites like to rule? Uh, but Jesus, for 40 days, he's explaining to them that this kingdom is different. You see, in God's kingdom, uh, in, in the kingdom of God, the lowly are brought up. So Jesus would take children on his knees and say, if you want to be a part of God's kingdom, you've got to be more like a child. In, in the kingdom of God, the lowly are, are elevated. So, so he would allow a prostitute to come into the home of the richest person in town and wash his feet with her tears. While everyone shuns the disgusting things happening, Jesus says, no, there's place at the table, even for this woman. Right? So this is, this is the idea that this kingdom of God, it, it, it's, it's this inverse kingdom in which the lowly, the, the outcast of society are invited not just to be near, to, but, but to play significant roles in the kingdom. He says the kingdom belongs to those like, like a little child. So the kingdom of God is this inverse kingdom, whereas Rome rules with power. The worst Rome could throw at Jesus, at, at the mission of God, was to kill Jesus, right? To hang him on a cross. And yet in this inverse kingdom, in this kingdom in which you live, Jesus doesn't fight back with strength, right? He doesn't send armies of angels to overthrow Rome, but instead he chooses a path of submission and resurrection and hope of new life. See, this is that kingdom of God that Jesus came to usher in. We will not fight back. We won't reign. We won't overthrow Rome. Instead, in loving, in, in elevating the lowly, in, in hope of new life, we will bring about a different kind of kingdom on the earth. That, that's, that, that was Jesus' promise of, of this kingdom. Okay, uh, a kingdom, I, I guess the last thing I, I thought I might say about it, um, it it's a kingdom in which power um, is not one. Uh, but instead, power is given by God for the furtherment of, of his mission. So whereas a, a normal kingdom, right, uh, the, the king rules, um, uh, you know, uh, with his, um, 
boy, I can't even think, you know, his army. Uh, so so he, he demonstrates his power through his army. He has laws and punishments for people. But in God's kingdom, it operates quite differently. The power is found in an entirely different place and source. It's not the kind of might that's wielded with a sword or a weapon. Instead, it's the power of the Spirit. And, and that's what we're going to talk about, this waiting on the Spirit that we see here. So, so Jesus tells them this. Uh, he says it a couple times there in verse 5 and then again um, in verse 8. But he says, um, I want you to wait on the gift that the Father has promised. And in verse 8, um, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, that's a region there, and to the ends of the earth. So this, this was Jesus' uh, rally cry. I want you to wait on the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now this is that one other piece that I'm going to take just a minute to talk about, just some of the logistics of it. The Holy Spirit. What, what is the Holy Spirit, right? And this is a big topic. A lot of churches are going to go different directions. We're going to talk pretty, pretty macro picture, big picture of what is the Holy Spirit. Now throughout scripture we read of the, of the, of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was involved in creation. Like in the story that we read in Genesis 1, the Spirit is hovering over the waters, hovering over the entire earth. Uh, the, 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 the power in creation is attributed in Scripture to the Holy Spirit. Um, Christendom, you know, pretty, pretty well across the board, believes in the idea of God as a triune God. It, it believes in a trinity. That is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and these three, uh, separate yet one, are what make up God, right? Huge concepts, man, and we could argue and split churches over for, for, for years if we wanted to, right? Huge concepts, but the idea that God uh, in, exists, operates in the forms of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we see that sort of thing throughout Scripture. Now, often when we think of the Holy Spirit today, we'll think of speaking in tongues. We'll, we'll, th- we'll think of charismatic gifts, right? And, and, uh, and, and in some churches, those are very common, Right? That, that's something we see a lot. In, in some churches, they're not practiced as much, you know, in the formal gatherings. Some people in their personal life, you know, have experienced powerful gifts of the Spirit. Uh, others of us have not experienced those sorts of extreme things. You see, in the first century, uh, in, in the first century church, um, there, there was a lot of talk. So in the book of Acts, we're going to see a lot of, of the Holy Spirit doing just really powerful things and, and seeing incredible things take place by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Today, um, uh, I see the power in the Spirit, but I think it's important that we broaden our our understanding and our scope of of pursuing the Spirit beyond just um, the the charismatic, uh, noticeable gifts that, that sometimes are attributed there. See, because Scripture speaks of the Spirit working in many ways, including those, but far beyond. So Scripture speaks of the Holy Spirit uh, being our source of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, goodness and self-control. And so as much as I'd like to say, you know, the Holy Spirit uh, led me to this, and, and I, I believe the Spirit does, I, I also want to be, be a person that learns to say, you know, I just found joy in the Spirit today. I found an extra measure of peace in the Spirit today, and it allowed me to interact with my neighbor in this way. Like, I believe those are works of the Spirit that are, that are valid, that are good, that, that are God bringing about good things in the world around us. And, and so the Holy Spirit uh, was responsible for all sorts of good things. 
Last little piece on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is spoken of in many different terms throughout Scripture. Um, the agent of creation, the breath of life, the giver of life. Um, uh, the Holy Spirit spoken of as God's giving of himself to the world. And I want to linger there just for a moment. Uh, the idea that God has given himself to the world. Right, that God is not some far off God like so often we think of um, in our in our Western concepts, but instead that through the Spirit God has given Himself that we can know God more fully, that we can live near to God. Right, so so the idea of God having given Himself to the world, um, the Holy Spirit is spoken of in terms of a counselor and a guide. That's really common uh, in in Acts that the the Spirit is guiding us, that we can know God more, that we can know God's work in the earth. So. So, so Jesus' call here then in this text was, I want you to wait on the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's pretty likely that they don't know exactly what that's going to look like or how it's going to play out. In that respect, maybe we're like them in, in, in some ways, right? Um, as I pray, God, uh, may your spirit be active in this place. May your spirit be active in my life. I don't know exactly what form that takes, right? I, I don't know exactly what's to come. Jesus says to them, I want you to wait on the power of the spirit. You know, but, but waiting is not our strong suit. Sarah found this clip this week uh, that, that I thought was kind of funny. It's, um, it's an experiment, um, a psychological experiment. Uh, it's called the marshmallow test. I don't know if you've heard of it, um, but the concept is quite simple. Uh, set a kid in front of a marshmallow and tell him if you'll wait 20 minutes to eat it, I'll give you another and you'll get two. And then leave him alone to see what happens. Okay, so, so waiting is not a simple thing. Do we have it up there, Brian? That's good. You know, aren't we a lot like those kids in so many aspects of life? Let's be honest, waiting is not easy, even if there's something good promised ahead. Now, this plays out in our lives on all sorts of different levels. I mean, think about uh, our our workplaces. Think about any major endeavor that we're working towards. Uh, There could be real value in a a contemplative period, a, a time of thought, a time of processing, a time of considering best moves. But aren't we so inclined just to jump towards the first thing and the first option that comes to mind. We're, we're kind of programmed that way, friends. And, and so Jesus here, and, and I can't say exactly why, but the plan is that their job is to wait for a season, right? Jesus says, here's your job in this moment in time. It is to wait. And I'm not good at that. You know, and it's not as simple as, well, if you wait, you'll get twice as much. It's not as simple as a marshmallow, but I think it's a good illustration to to consider uh, there is value at times in our lives in waiting. Now, here's, here's the kickback. Here, here's where we're going to argue the, the idea of waiting. We're, we're going to say it's idleness. We're going to think, no, it's, it's wasted time. I don't think that's always the case. So Sarah and I, years ago, um, we, we, we worked in another church. Uh, I was an associate pastor working with youth. And for years, um, for years, we experienced, uh, Bill Hybels uses the term, a holy discontent. I like that term. Like God has laid a weight on us, a discontent saying there is something more. But here we were uh, called to be in this place. And so for a couple years of our lives, we learned to wait 
on God's guidance, to wait on the Spirit's guidance. Now, we had quite a number of options to move out of the area, to take other jobs, but we never sensed God saying, it's time to go now. And it was over those years that God equipped and invited us to a a long process of gaining a vision for a new faith community in the Tri-Cities that we now sit here today and are a part of. You see, there was a lot of ways we could have pulled the trigger and gone in the first direction that, that, that came our way. But it was in that process of waiting that God reshaped our hearts, that God opened our eyes to a community around us, that God invited us into relationships to know God's love and, and freedom and opportunity and just to dream what could the church be that we're not experiencing here and now. And, and friends, let me say this about church because this is important. We're not there now. We continue to be in a season of waiting and discerning the Spirit's guidance. Okay? And so as a people, you'll notice we don't put on the flashiest shows and productions, right? Uh, our, our primary goal is not transfer growth and to get as many Christians in a room as we possibly can in the, in the first journey of a, in the first year of a journey, but instead our goal is to discern what unique things the Spirit is leading us into in, in this season. What is God doing? What is God equipping us for? Who are people of peace in our lives? That is, people that God is is working in, in in our lives around us, that we get to come alongside God's good work and share good news and hope in the context of of brokenness or, or pain or the things that we're dealing with. You see, we continue to be in a process of learning to wait on God and discern the Spirit. There's a really good couple books that I'll just mention. I, I won't talk about. Uh, I won't take the time on. Um, there's a there's a book uh, by a Nobel Prize winner um, who wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Our fast thought is um, the uh, reactive, the fight, flight, or freeze reactions, right? These are reactive and, and often emotional reactions to situations. Slow thought is the more contemplative, the thoughtful, the, um, the, the, the processing and planning. Now, we will always have an immediate reaction to situations, but the idea and the premise of the book is what if we spend enough time being still and waiting, being thoughtful, that we can begin to reprogram our immediate fast reactions to look more like our thoughtful processes in life. And it wouldn't take you long to think back about the last time you reacted in the moment and to say, if I'd have thought through that, I probably could have done that differently, right? And so the, the idea is the, the time in waiting is not idle and it's not wasted, that's going to be uh, the, the, the kickback that we feel in our lives. I'm wasting time. But I don't believe we are. You see, the more we can learn to be thoughtful, uh, the further we'll go. I'm reading a fascinating, Sarah and I are reading a fascinating book called um, Emotional Intelligence. Uh, and this is a much quicker, easier read. If, if you're going to look at one of them, look at this one. Um, emotional Intelligence uh, is um, kind of the counterpart to IQ, um, uh, the, the IQ of a person. And, and emotional d- intelligence, fascinatingly enough, is a much stronger predictor of future success in the workplace and world than IQ. 
right? You can be really smart, but without emotional intelligence, that is the ability to see myself and the ability to see people around me, the ability to interact with people, we'll find ourselves struggling, right? And so the fascinating thing about emotional intelligence is it can be developed, well, IQ is, at least in theory, static over our lifetime. Our, our IQ will remain the same. But emotional intelligence, a better predictor of success, is actually a skill that can be developed and cultivated. I, I'd, I'd encourage reading a little bit about that because it, goes, it falls right in line with this idea of where am I at in life? There's a lot of ways I can pull the trigger, go quick, and make changes. And let's be, uh, let's be honest, a lot can be accomplished on our own strength and our own ideas and our immediate reactions. But today I just want to be challenged by this text in which Jesus comes to them and he says, I want you to wait. I want us to challenge ourselves, what would it look like in my life to have a little bit more rest, a little bit more stillness, a little bit more listening, a little bit more time to contemplate what is the Spirit doing and what am I being invited to in the days and weeks to come? I believe the Spirit's at work today. I believe the Spirit is at work in our lives. And I believe that in the situations of our lives, in our workplaces, in our families, in our hurt, and in our, in our celebration and our joyful moments in life, I believe, should we take the time to invite the Spirit, to invite God into these processes more fully? we will find uh, more success, we will find ourselves more in line with God, with what God is accomplishing in the world around us, and I believe we'll find a lot more joy. I want to invite you to something countercultural today. As, as Americans that want to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, get it done, and move on, I want to invite us to wait. I want to invite us to listen. I want to invite us to invite God into the processes of our lives, and to find his blessings in that. Next week, we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, and we're going to see what happens, having waited. We're going to see what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on these people. For this week, I want to invite us to consider what it means to invite God into the, into the processes of my life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for a time to look into your word. To be reflective, Father, this is a time of reflection where we sit still and we consider, and, and, and each of us are listening, Father, for, for your voice in Scripture. And so, Father, today, I pray that you will be uh, people who learn to trust in the power of the Spirit, who learn to wait on your calling and your guidance. Father, I just pray that, that you will work powerfully in our lives. And as I say that, Father, I realize my tendencies to say, Father, work powerfully right now in this moment. But Father, I just pray that you can teach us uh, to listen, to wait, to know your nearness, and to find your guidance. Father, to find your participation, involvement, and direction in the everyday happenings of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey friends, uh, I'll remind you there's a Seahawks game this afternoon, so be sure you watch that. Also remind you there's a meal at the Lytle's house tonight, right? Is that correct? Yeah. So at the Lytle's house, uh, talk with them if you want to join them uh, this afternoon. Uh, our next service project is with Soul Soup. Will be uh, It's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Look at that. Our next project is tomorrow. Uh, if you're free tomorrow evening and want to come serve a meal with us, uh, that'll be a great, uh, great experience. Uh, appreciate you guys. Hope you have a blessed week. Hope you know God's nearness and involvement in the week to come.